0: Well, what a phenomenal passage we've just read. It's a passage which speaks of God's judgment. It's a passage which speaks of God's grace. And everybody in this room this evening, you're either under God's judgment or you've gloriously been a recipient of God's grace. That's the whole message of the Bible. Well I want to break that passage that we read into two parts and we're going to consider first of all the judgment and that's in the verses in the section from chapter 6 from verse 24 to the end and then in chapter 7 we're going to look at God's grace and in each of these two sections we're going to look at two different uh, groups of people or persons who are mentioned in the account so first of all we're going to consider God's judgment From verse 24 of chapter 6 to the end of that chapter. you remember uh, last week we saw how the Syrian army had been turned away. They'd been blinded. And then they'd been treated kindly. And sent packing. Well Ben Hadad is the king of Syria. Um, He's had time to... Um, dust off his wounds and to repair his bruised ego and he's decided to lay siege to Samaria the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel it's about 40 miles roughly north of Jerusalem uh, which of course is the capital city of Judah at this point in Israel's history and this siege has taken place and the food has quickly run out The people are desperate. Uh, They are being starved into submission by Hadad, the king of Syria. And the prices of food, as you expect in those kinds of times, are going through the roof. Even in such times as that, no doubt, uh, there are all kinds of con men wheeling and dealing, trying to make a fast buck out of everyone's misery. It's happened since the dawn of time. And uh, the donkey's head, which is an unclean item of food for a Jew, 80 shekels of silver. That is an unbelievable, that's an astronomical amount of money. People would give up their life savings for a donkey's head, such is their hunger. What about the dove droppings? Well, the jury's still out on that, so exactly what we're meant to read into the dove droppings, Uh, is it so severe that literally that's what they're being forced to eat? Perhaps. Is it really that bad? What must conditions be like in Samaria if it's that bad? Why does God allow his people to fall into that kind of circumstance? Well, as far as Israel is concerned, this is all part and parcel of the judgment that God has constantly warned Israel will fall upon them if they pursue sin instead of holiness and if they pursue idols instead of himself. And if they continue in those things, instead of repenting and turning back to himself. And it's interesting, having read what's taken place in Samaria, if you turn to Deuteronomy in chapter 28, you'll find these precise circumstances foretold as a judgment that will come upon Israel. If they reject God and turn their back upon him. Deuteronomy 28 beginning at verse 53. You shall eat the fruit of your own body, the flesh of your sons and your daughters whom the Lord your God has given you in the siege. And desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you. The sensitive and very refined man among you will be hostile toward his brother. Toward the wife of his bosom and toward the rest of his children whom he leaves behind. So that he will not give any of them the flesh of his children whom he will eat. Because he has nothing left in the siege. And desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you at all your gates. We'll pause the reading there because if you want to carry on yourself some time. It gets even more distressing. For the sensitive amongst us, we'll pause there. The Bible will not permit you to make light of sin. That is one of the messages that all of these Old Testament accounts teach us. You must not, you cannot make light of sin. Why? Because God doesn't. Sin is far more grievous to God than we can ever imagine. Sin is far more heinous in his eyes than any of us have ever begun to understand. When a God in whom there is no sin, a God who has poured blessing upon blessing on these people... And yet they reject him and they reject him and they reject him and they refuse to repent and they turn to other gods. The grief and the heartache that that brings to God is beyond our contemplation. And one of the things that these Old Testament accounts teach us again and again you cannot, you must not make light of sin. And alongside that as we read these kinds of accounts in the Old Testament and perhaps some of you think well why are all of these things there? Why has God preserved these accounts for us? Why is it that God is uh, acting in this way? Well you see alongside the fact that they teach us that we cannot make light of sin is the clearest evidence that when the Bible speaks about that judgment which is yet to come. Because, of course, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament focuses primarily upon present-day judgments, the judgment that God actually visited upon his people then. That's the main focus when it speaks of judgment. But, of course, in the New Testament, the main focus is that judgment which is to come. That judgment that will come when Christ returns. Christ is coming again. And when he comes, all men and women face this judgment because of their sinfulness. When the Bible speaks of that future judgment, we know that that future judgment is certain to take place. Because of the judgment that we see in the Old Testament. We see that is how God deals with sin. That is how God must deal with sin. And there's a judgment coming. When God will deal with sin. Where he he must deal with sin. And it is certainly coming. And it's going to be severe. Severe. And these Old Testament passages, they ought to have us shaking in our boots as we consider what it is for anyone to fall into the hands of the living God. The severity of God's wrath against sin is made clear in these Old Testament passages. But remember, right alongside it is God's grace. But it speaks first of judgment. So we see in this first section of the story, in that final section of chapter 6, a number of different characters brought to our attention. First of all, there's two desperate women, and we see them in verses 26 to 29. How bad must it be in Samaria for these two women to have this conversation and come to this agreement that they come to? Let's eat one another's children. How bad must it be for two mothers to talk that way? And what we see when God's common grace is withdrawn, because God is always at work in his common grace in this world, you know. Well, for the most part, he is. The sun and the rain fall upon the just and the unjust seed time and harvest comes and the just and the unjust receive food to eat the just and the unjust can go to the doctor and get medicine and become well God's common grace prevents many people from being anything like as wicked as they might be because of the wickedness of their hearts that's all God's common grace upon this sinful world But you see, at times like this, it's as if even God's common grace is withdrawn. And men and women are allowed to show their true colours. And they demonstrate just how low the sinful heart can stoop. When all grace is withdrawn and when wicked hearts do their worst. These two women have had no thought of turning to God in repentance and seeking his help. And instead they've turned to their own schemes and just look at what a wicked sinful heart is able to come up with as a solution. As God removes the, the restraining of his common grace, there are seemingly no depths to which the human heart cannot sink Well does the Bible say that the human heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. And we see it in these two unnamed mothers in Samaria. And we have as well as these two women we have one defiant king. From verse 30 to the end of the chapter. Uh, We're told that he's been wearing sackcloth under his clothes. And wearing sackcloth is supposed to be a sign of repentance. It's supposed to be a sign of mourning over sin. But the king's fury and his determination to use Elisha as a scapegoat for this situation. And to blame God and to blame his spokesman. Well that betrays his real heart. There really isn't much repentance in the king of Israel. And look at the words coming from the king at the end of verse 33, at the end of chapter 6. Surely this calamity is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? He's just getting more and more angry against God. This is all God's fault. He's to blame. Why should I wait for him? Why should I consider him defiant? This siege and the woes of all the people are God's doing. And the king is saying, How dare God treat us like this? How dare God expect that I will bow and repent of my sins? Enough of God and enough of God's prophet. A fat lot of good they've been to me. Off with the prophet's head. God is to be blamed. God is to be discounted, discredited, and abandoned. Just like so many are doing today. Discrediting God, discounting God, abandoning God. And speak to them about the coming judgment. Oh, please, credit me with some intelligence and don't be so ridiculous. But I have passages like 2 Kings, chapter 6 and 7 open in front of me. And the word of God makes it abundantly clear that God does not make light of sin. And God must move in judgment against sin. times have changed since these accounts took place technology's moved on a pace circumstances aren't the same in 21st century britain as they were that day in samaria but those desperate women and that defiant king can be found in people all around us and judgments coming but Whenever the Bible speaks of judgment. It always speaks of grace. There is grace. Praise God that there is grace. So let's consider God's grace in chapter 7. Now look at the message of verse 1. Elisha. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Tomorrow about this time. And this is to be held in comparison with a donkey's head costing all those shekels of silver. Tomorrow, a seer of fine flour will be one shekel. And two seers of barley will be a shekel at the gate of Samaria. There's going to be food in such supply that the huge, hugely inflated prices that are currently being charged in Samaria are going to be drastically cut. Now, those prices that are quoted there in verse 1 of chapter 7, it's still not cheap by normal standards. But those prices are so much more within the grasp of normal people. And the prices are coming way, way down. And normal type of food is going to be available You're not going to have to put up with a donkey's head and a bucket of pigeon droppings. You're going to have barley. You're going to have fine flour. Not just flour, fine flour. What a change. What an amazing change. And look at how close grace is tomorrow. You see, God's grace is never millions of miles away. God's grace is always so much closer than you realise. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. And we have this officer of the king. He appears in verse 2 and then he appears in verses 17 through to the end of the chapter. The officer simply cannot believe or accept it. If God could open up a window into heaven he couldn't solve the problem that quickly. Says the officer. This is too much, too good to be true. No way. Look how desperate things are right now inside the city. And God can do this tomorrow? No way. Unbelief is a dreadful thing. Unbelief is to defy God. Unbelief is to call God out as a liar. Unbelief is to think that he cannot possibly mean or do what he says. Unbelief is to think that you're better off as you are without him. That's the officer. No chance. No way. He can't accept that he will see such a thing. And so actually God will grant him his wish and ensure that he doesn't see it. Such is the nature of unbelief. You see, unbelief has the power to ruin you for all eternity. This officer of the king, his unbelief will ruin him for all eternity. But as well as the officer, we're introduced to these four lepers. Now lepers, of course, have to live outside of the city, the the, The Levitical law won't permit them to remain inside any township. They have to remain outside and people would often help to provide food for them. Well, of course, there's no food. And so these four lepers, they look around at the circumstances and they think, well, if we stay here, we're going to die. If we go in the city, we're going to die, even if we could get in. If we go to the Syrians, well, actually there's the one place we might stand a chance of living. And if they do kill us, well actually it'd probably be a, a quicker way to die. Better than starving to death. Way up the odds. Eh, doesn't take very long, does it? Let's go to the Syrians. Let's hand ourselves in. Let's see what happens. Can't be any worse than we are now. And it could be better. Let's go. So they go. Seems so quite a sharp couple of men here who've thought this one through. And of course, meanwhile, the Syrian army have heard what they think is a vast approaching army. They can hear horses. They can hear an army of vast, vast numbers approaching. And of course, remember that encounter uh, when the servant couldn't see what the prophet of God could see and God was able to open that servant's eyes and all around he saw the army of the Lord of hosts. Uh, Perhaps here God in his infinite wisdom and power enables the army of the Syrians to hear that army of the Lord of hosts in a miraculous way it must have been some noise that they heard because their immediate reaction is to just drop everything and run so when the lepers arrive the place is absolutely deserted everything is in its place All the food is there. All their equipment is there. They haven't even got on their animal. How bad must it be that they haven't even thought to get on the animals to ride away? They've just run. All the animals have been left. And these lepers walk into the camp. Hey, all their Christmases have come at once. They can't believe it. Finest clothes they've ever seen for a long, long time. Gold, silver, food aplenty and uh, quite understandably they start to help themselves take a bit extra go and hide it somewhere find another tent do the same again why not but then they have this great realisation what are we doing you not heard some of the noises that are coming from inside the city We need to tell everyone else about this. Let them all share it. And so they go. They pass the message on. The king, as you've seen, he just thinks it's a ploy by the Syrians. It's just a trap. They're not very far away. They're waiting for us to come out. And then they're going to come and get us. It's just one huge trap. Let's send a a, a reconnaissance party just to check things out. So out goes the reconnaissance party. And back they come. No, it's exactly like the lepers said, "We've looked, there's no sign of the Syrian army anywhere. They've even dropped stuff off their bodies as they've been running away. Everything is there." And in they go. And as the lepers have said, it's all there. The loot is all brought back. They now have a plentiful supply of food and at the city gates the next morning the food is sold at exactly the prices that Elisha foretold and in the trample for food that officer of the king loses his life in the stampede and despite Israel's awful sin God is still a God of grace. What have the people done to deserve this? They haven't done anything. It's all of God. God displaying. His most wonderful. Wonderful. Grace. Powerful lesson that we find in the Old Testament. Two women. Those two women who have behaved So appallingly discover that they can be the recipients of God's grace. Isn't that wonderful news? To be so mired in sin, to have sunk as deep as that, yet you can still know God's grace. There is hope for sinners in the Bible. In the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Four lepers. Destitute outcasts. Nearing death. Find provision in abundance. That is beyond their wildest dreams. The poor and the destitute. May find from God. A provision that they could never imagine. Why? Because God is a God of abounding grace. Do you see how these Old Testament stories all point ahead to what God will do through his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ? What grace has been shown to such undeserving creatures like you and me in Christ? What abundance of blessing is found in turning in repentance and faith to Christ? To know that your sins are forgiven, to have God's curse for your sins lifted and dealt with at Calvary. That awful judgment that lies on every sinner's head to be removed forever because of Christ. To receive newness of life. To know that God has forgiven you and accepted you in Christ Jesus. To be adopted as his children To receive faith for this life and hope for eternity. What abundant blessings God has by His grace. And like those lepers, we must surely also find ourselves saying, How can we remain silent on a day of such good news? Do you remain silent? Or do you go and tell? Will you remain silent? Or will you not go and tell? Of such wonderful grace as has been made available to sinners in the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been remembering Martin Luther in these recent days. It was Martin Luther very close to the end of his life who said this. We are just beggars telling other beggars where to find food.